from ABC News. There's no running away from the numbers. Fossey laments surging COVID deaths. Dr. Anthony Fossey said Sunday that he did not anticipate the COVID-19 pandemic death toll in the United States would reach current levels. Lamenting that interactivity and holiday travel has facilitated virus transmission and calling for Americans to take the necessary public safety precautions to slow the ongoing surge. To have 300,000 cases in a given day and between two and 3,000 deaths a day is just terrible. The nation's top infectious disease expert told ABC's This Week co-anchor Martha Radat Sunday. There's no running away from the numbers, Martha. It's something that we absolutely get to grasp and get our arms around and turn that inflection down by very intensive adherence to the public health measures uniformly throughout the country with no exception. Fossey's comments came minutes after President Donald Trump misleadingly claimed in a tweet that the numbers from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention of Infected Persons and Deaths in the country are exaggerated, despite coronavirus cases continuing to increase nationwide. Even as recent data fluctuates, due to inconsistent reporting over the holidays, the U.S. this weekend topped 20 million COVID cases and 350,000 deaths since the onset of the pandemic 10 months ago. The deaths are real deaths. Fossey, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, said, When asked by Radatz for his response to the president's tweet, all you need to do is go out into the trenches, go to the hospitals, and see what the healthcare workers are dealing with. They are under very stressful situations in many areas of the country. The hospital beds are stretched. People are running out of beds, running out of trained personnel who are exhausted. That's real, he continued. That's not fake. That's real. On this week, Fossey also responded to growing concerns over the speed of vaccinations in the U.S. Many states are using just a small percentage of the vaccine they have received, Radat said. What's the biggest cause of this delay? I think it's just trying to get a massive vaccine program started and getting off on the right foot, Fossey responded, acknowledging that there have been a couple of glitches which he called understandable, given the scale of the effort. But the doctor contented that recent numbers of offered glimmer of hope. In the last 72 hours, they've gotten 1.5 million doses into people's arms, which is an average of about 500,000 a day, which is much better than the beginning when it was much, much less than that, Fossey said. So we are not where we want to be. There is no doubt about that, but I think we can get there if we really accelerate, get some momentum going and see what happens as we get into the first couple of weeks of January. As of Sunday morning, over 14 million vaccine doses have been distributed across the U.S. But only 4.2 million people have received shots, according to the CDC, prompting criticism of the government rollout plan for both Democrats and Republicans. As I long feared and warned, the effort to distribute and administer the vaccine is not progressing as it should, President-elect Joe Biden said Tuesday, claiming that at the current pace, it's going to take years, not months, to vaccinate the American people. Unlike the development of the vaccines, the vaccination process itself is falling behind, Senator Mitt Romney, our Utah, said in a statement Friday. 
and that comprehensive vaccination plans have not been developed at the federal level and sent to the states as models is as incomprehensible as it is inexcusable. Trump noted that the gap between the delivery and immunization numbers in a separate tweet Sunday morning appearing to characterize the disparity as the effect of a successful distribution plan. The vaccines are being delivered to the states by the federal government for faster than they can be administered, Trump wrote. Even if the U.S. vaccination program accelerates, health experts are concerned that continued skepticism about the inoculation could prolong the pandemic. Last week, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine reported that 60% of eligible nursing home workers were declining the vaccine. Fossey has said that upwards of 70% of the population will likely needed to be immunized to achieve herd immunity. And this week, Radatz referenced that distrust of the vaccine as she pressed Fossey about his prediction that the pandemic's waning days and the sense of normality could arrive by the fall. It is totally going to depend on the uptake of vaccines, he said. It's from April, May, June, July, and August. We do the kind of increased vaccine implementation that I'm talking about. At least 1 million people a day and maybe more. By the time we end the summer and get to the fall, we will achieve the level of herd immunity that I think will get us back to some form of normality. While looking ahead, Fossey recalled the success of a vaccination effort over 70 years ago in his home city of New York that provides a blueprint for what he believes is possible in 2021 across the U.S. In 1947, 5 million New Yorkers were immunized for smallpox in two weeks, he said. The goal of vaccinating 100 million people in the first 100 days is a realistic goal. Fossey noted earlier in Sunday's interview, we can do 1 million people per day. You know we have done massive vaccination programs, Martha, in our history. There's no reason why we can't do it right now. By BBC News Nancy Pelosi, how she rose to the top and stayed there. Nancy Pelosi has made headlines once more after securing a full term as Speaker of the House of Representatives. It marks a new chapter in her nearly 50-year political career with the Democrats, and perhaps the greatest challenge yet. With Kamala Harris about to be the country's first female vice president, Pelosi can no longer claim the mantle of most powerful woman in the U.S. politics. But as Speaker of the House, the 80-year-old will play a critical role in advancing the agenda of the new president. That means that there's no time to dwell on her personal disappointment over November's election. She takes charge of a shrinking majority in the lower chamber and was only narrowly re-elected as Speaker, following defections from a handful of Democrat colleagues. Instead, her coming term must demonstrate all the Pelosi qualities that both rally her supporters and alienate her many detractors. Her legislative acumen, her ability to keep a restless party united when it matters, and her instinct for political theatre. Raised in a political family, Republicans have typically painted Miss Pelosi as a San Francisco liberal in a mode with big government and far to the left on social issues. But her roots are from a more practical style of politics on the other side of the continent. 
She grew up in a political family, youngest of seven children in the greasy East Coast city of Baltimore, Maryland, where her father was a mayor. She went to college in nearby Washington, where she met and eventually married financier Paul Pelosi. They first moved to Manhattan and then San Francisco, where Miss Pelosi started as a housewife. She had five children, four daughters and a son in the space of six years. The start of something big. In 1976, she became involved in politics, using her old family connections to help California Governor Jerry Brown win the Maryland primary as he ran for president. She then rose through the state's Democratic Party ranks, eventually becoming its chair and then winning a seat in Congress in 1988. In the house she worked her way up again, because she represented a portion of the city with a large gay community. She made increasing aid research funding a priority. In 2001, she ran for House Minority Whip, which is vote content, second in command for the party in the House, and won a narrow victory. The next year, she moved up to Minority Leader, which means leading the party in the House but in opposition. Reaching the top, she was one of the highest profile, most outspoken opponents of the US invasion of Iraq in 2003. This stance was vindicated and paid dividends in 2006 when the Democrats took control of the House for the first in 12 years. She was elected by her party to be Speaker of the House, becoming the first woman in that role in US history. Four years later, Democrats lost control of the lower chamber of Congress. Despite the setbacks, Ms. Pelosi defeated several challenges within her own ranks to take the gavel once more at the helm of a resurgent party in 2018. What does a speaker do? The Speaker of the House is the one congressional job detailed in the US Constitution. It is second in line for the presidency behind only the Vice President. Its massive office in the Capitol Rotunda reflects the prestige of the job with its own balcony looking out toward the Washington Monument. The majority party in the House has virtually unfettered control over the legislative process. The Speaker and her deputies and committee chairs determine what bills are considered and voted on. They set the agenda and decide the rules governing debate. If a Speaker can keep her majority in line, the legislative process in the House can purr like a well-tuned machine. From 2009 to 2011, Pelosi's chamber enacted an $840 billion stimulus package in the aftermath of the 2008 economic collapse. She also pushed hard to get the Affordable Care Act, which became the defining battle of the Barack Obama presidency through the House and onto the president's desk. Pelosi's biggest moment, she faced very different circumstances when she returned to the Speaker's chair in 2018. By then, she was a lightning rod for Republican anger in the rise, representing the coastal elites pushing a big spending, radical platform. During the 2018 midterms campaign, Republican incumbent David Bratt mentioned Nancy Pelosi and her liberal agenda 21 times in one debate. The move backfired for him and his party as Democrats swept to a historic win in the House, 
But this time, she had President Donald Trump as well as the Willie Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell as obstacles to any bills her party got through the House didn't go any further. In viral terms, her big moment was her sarcastic hashtag Pelosi Club during Trump's State of the Union speech a month after she took office. It still lives on as a popular gift. Most controversially that same night, she also ripped up Trump's speech in front of the TV cameras. A kiss of disrespect, she later defended the move, calling his words a manifesto of mistruths, taking on Trump. Pelosi was initially reluctant to lead only the third impeachment of a US president, but as more emerged in 2019 of Trump's dealings with Ukraine, she eventually said it was an abuse of power that could not be ignored. He was accused of pressing Ukraine to dig up damaging information on Joe Biden and using military aid as leverage, but was acquitted in the Republican-controlled state. Some of those in her own party who were openly calling for her removal in 2018 have since been impressed by the way she has taken President Trump. As well as some testic changes in the Oval Office, she has secured some big legislative wins against him over the border while funding in a government shutdown. Presented by BBT News Mundo. ¿Por qué a los franceses les encanta quejarse como han hecho días de todo un arte? Muchas conversaciones en Francia comienzan con un suspiro y un lamento. Que si hace mal tiempo. Que si la vendimia es peor. Que si los políticos son ineptos y estúpidos. Cuando me mudé por primera vez a Francia, hace más de una década, era una chica estadounidense de 19 años a quien le fascinaba todo y me inquietaban las constantes quejas. Me preguntaba por qué los franceses siempre estaban de tan mal humor, pero cuando finalmente me armé de valor para preguntarle a un amigo francés. Mi corrigión, no sé qué han dijo, son jalur en Francia. Hay varias palabras para quejarse. Existe ese plendre que se utiliza para las quejas habituales. También está porteplén para las quejas más formales. Y luego está jalea que es quejarse por el simple gusto de hacerlo. Jale es el formal. Puede que te quejes de hacer algo, pero aún así lo haces, aunque sea a regañadentes. Explica Gemma King, profesora de francés en la Universidad Nacional de Australia y editora del blog Les Musis de Paris. Mientras que Porteple implica que no lo harás y alguien se enterará del porqué. Cuando estaba a punto de solicitar mi permiso de residencia en Francia y obtener la ciudadanía francesa, solo era un gran sueño. Solía bromear con que me enteraría que me había vuelto francesa antes de recibir la carta porque me despertaría con la incontrolable necesidad de quejarme. Preparándome para ese fatídico día, me quejaba en modo de broma con cualquiera que me quisiera escuchar. La sopa está demasiado fría, la ensalada demasiado caliente, un vecino no me dijo bonjour. ¿Cómo comenzar una conversación en Francia? Mis amigos serían en mis intentos de superar como una francesa y es que la pertenencia de cuando, 
con quien y sobre que quejarse es un arte muy delicado que yo todavía no terminaba de dominar por completo. En Francia, la queja es una manera apropiada y frecuente de comentar una conversación. Puedes comenzar a hablar de un restaurante enfocándote en el mal servicio en un lugar donde se come muy bien o resaltar el hecho de que como las ventanas en tu nuevo apartamento de hacia el este ahora tendrás que comprar cortinas para los estadounidenses decir algo negativo suena como si estuvieras terminando la conversación explica Julie Barlow periodista canadiense y coautora de The Bonjour Effect pero en Francia Tales comentarios se perciben como una forma de invitar a los demás a opinar. Según la autora, los estadounidenses no se sienten tan cómodos con la confrontación ni las críticas como los franceses. Jale, entonces, se percibe como algo más inteligente que ser demasiado optimista. Ana Poloni, escritora franco-húngaro estadounidense y directora del Departamento de Escritura Creativa del Instituto de Pensamiento Crítico de Paji. Cree que esta distinción puede deberse a un temor compartido por muchos estadounidenses, el de ser percibido como un perdedor. According to Deutsche Welle News Donald Trump's gegenspieleren aan explosie bij de geweld. De nieuwe legislatuurperiode in de USA gestalten bij de parlementskamer in Congress in Washington hebben zich geconstitueerd. De voorzitter en representanten uit had er nooit aan explosie. Aan explosie is een politiekveteran in de US Democraten in de vergangenen twee jaren waar ze until the cupel des capitals eine der Werkstechten gegen Spielernen von Präsident Donald Trump. Nun ist die erneute Vorsitzenden des US-Repräsentantenhauses gewalt worden und bleibt damit weiterhin eine der Werkstechten in Washington. Bei der Konstituierenden Sitzung der Kongresskammer erreichte Pelosi mit Stimmen knapp die notwendige Mehrheit zur Wiederwahl für den ein flüssigen Spitzenposten ihr Herausforderer, der Republikaner Kevin McCarthy. Damals rückte sie als erste Frau in der Geschichte des Landes auf den Posten. Als Vorsitzende des Repräsentantenhauses ist die Demokratin Protokoll alles die Nummer 3 im Staat nach dem Präsidenten und dem Vizepräsidenten. Taken from Uranus Italiano. Britannici blocati ad Heathrow, in Spagna non si torna. Puriscono e qui procuro con la fine del periodo di transizione post-Brexit e il ritorno della Dogana. Alcuni compagni aerei hanno impedito a britannici residenti in Spagna in possesso della carta verde di rientrare a casa. La prova del 9 si avrà questo lunedì quando? Passate le feste si avrà il polso della situazione alla rediviva dogana tra Gran Bretagna e Unione Europea. Chi ha questo weekend però qualcosa è andato storto. 
Tanti britannici residenti in Spagna non sono potuti tornare a casa pur essendo in possesso di un documento. Shared by BBC Brasil. Eleição dos IUA. Trump diz ao oficial eleitoral de Georgia para encontrar votos para anular a vitória de Biden. O presidente dos Estados Unidos, Donald Trump, disse ao principal funcionário eleitoral da Georgia para encontrar votos suficientes para anular o resultado das eleições americanas. Reported by France 24. Trump enquete fazendo passion por modificar o resultado eleitoral Georgia. O presidente americano Donald Trump a fez pressão sobre o responsável eleitoral do Estado de Georgia por tentar de obter uma modificação do resultado do curso do presidente de novembro, segundo um enregistramento ao que se apurou no Washington Post. <música>